we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. As long as you think about pain, you intensify the memory of it. Therefore, thinking about pain increases the fear of it. Hello and welcome to episode 175 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast is compiled from carefully chosen extracts from our archives, representing Krishnamurti's different approaches the fundamental issues and questions we all face in our lives. This week's theme is pain. Upcoming themes are responsibility, teaching and wholeness. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please visit the official YouTube channel for hundreds of advert-free, full-length video and audio recordings of Krishnamurti's talks. In addition, the Foundation's own channel features hundreds of specially selected clips. You can also find our regular quotes and videos on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, which helps our visibility. This week's episode on pain has three sections. This first extract is from the fourth question and answer meeting in Sanan, 1980, titled, How do you meet pain? How do you meet pain? Look at it. You have had pain. Toothache, tummy ache, various kinds of headaches, pain. Now, how do you meet it? Rush immediately to the pill, the medicine, a aspirin. So, how do you meet it? All right, let's put, make it much more simple. How do you meet a noise? A train goes by, four trains, during the hour that we sit here. How do you meet that noise? Do you... We are talking, thinking over together, and this train rushes by. How do you receive it? Do you resist it? Or... Let this sound go through you and you're, it's gone. You follow what I'm saying? Which, which, do you, which is it that you do? I'm not instructing you, please. I'm not your guru, you're not my followers, I'm not your authority. Thank God. How do you meet this tremendous noise that's so disturbing? Do you let it come without any resistance and go on? You understand? Do you do that? Now, if you have pain, and speaker has had part of it, like every human being, do you allow it to end? Or you want to end it with some medicine? You are following my question? Do you say you sit in a dentist's chair? The speaker has done quite a bit of it. 
you sit in a dentist's chair, he drills. Do you associate the pain and identify yourself with the pain? Of course, if the pain is too intense, he gives you some kind of novocaine or whatever he gives you. But if it is not too unbearable, do you observe the pain without identifying yourself and say, My God, you follow what I am saying? Which do you do? Is it immediate identification with the pain or disassociation and observing? When you have pain, you instinctively hold. If you are sitting on the chair, hmm? but if you don't, I identify with the pain, you can put your hands out quietly and bear it without too much, which means, is it possible to disassociate oneself from the actual movement of pain? Inquire into it. Don't say, it is, it's not. You find out for yourself how much, how far, how deeply one can not identify, I am in great pain. You follow that? Now the question I ask is cancer. I'm sorry. And should he take medicine or operation or bear with it? I know people who have cancer. They come to, we've seen them. And they don't want to go under the on the table to be operated. And they bear with that enormous pain whether that pain affects the brain, which has its own capacity to protect itself. I don't know if you have gone into this, I am just pointing out. You understand what I am saying? If, uh, if one has great unbearable pain, the brain has its own capacity to protect itself against pain. The brain specialists are inquiring into this, are finding out, because we have talked to some of them, are finding out that the brain has the capacity to, or through some chemical reaction, to protect itself against not too much pain, but some pain. Don't accept my word for this. Uh, the speaker has found that out long ago, that the brain has the capacity to protect itself against danger, against pain, against certain amount of grief. Beyond that, the brain becomes unconscious, there is giving up. And the questioner says, what should I do? Right? How can the speaker decide this? Perhaps I can hold his or her hand for a while, but that's not going to solve the problem. Either one has great sense of not identifying with the pain, but it's impossible to have tremendous pain. And 
if one can bear without operation the extraordinary pain that one has, one must also be aware that it might injure the brain. You understand what I'm saying? Haven't you noticed this in yourself? That you can bear pain up to a point, which is the brain has the capacity to bring about some chemical responses which will safeguard it against pain. But if you have too much pain, of course, that's impossible. The second extract is from Krishnamurti's third talk in Bombay, 1971, titled Fear of Pain. So, we're going to find out, you, whether it is possible to be free of fear. There is the fear of physical pain. Right? You have had pain years ago or few days ago. Please listen to this carefully, because we've all had pain, physical pain, agonizing pain or superficial pain physical pain, and that pain has left a mark on the brain, right, which is the memory of that pain which you have had two days ago or two years ago, and you don't want that pain to be repeated, right? So what is taking place? You have had pain and there is the memory of that pain and you don't want it to happen again. You are following this? What takes place then? Having had physical pain, you don't want it repeated, and the idea that it might come back, in that idea there is fear, right? You think about yesterday's or two days ago pain, and you don't want it repeated. Thought, which is the response of memory, says, I don't want that pain again. Right? So physically you cannot forget it. It is there. And as long as you think about it, you intensify the memory of that pain. And therefore, thinking about it increases fear of that pain. Right? You see that, don't you? Thinking about the past pain sustains that pain, and you may have that pain tomorrow, which is still the thinking about pain, and so thought says, I mustn't have pain, right? So there is fear, 
So thought breeds fear. You've understood? I may lose my job. May, that is in the future. So I think about it, I may lose my job, so I get frightened. Right? I think about death, and thinking about it makes me afraid. So thought breeds fear, right? Not only the fear of the past, but also fear of the future. Unless you follow this very carefully, you will, you won't, when you leave, be free of fear. Together we are going to work and see if you cannot totally be free of it. Then you'll be a free man, and you can then put away all your gurus. You will then be able to think, see, live very clearly and in an ecstatic state. So you must, together, understand this question basically. So thought sustains, gives a continuity to psychological pain as well as physical pain, right? Now hold it, wait there, leave it there. You've had a great pleasure yesterday, sensory pleasure, sexual pleasure, or the pleasure of seeing a beautiful tree, or the lovely sunset. The sunset, the, the shape and the beauty and the dignity and the strength of a marvelous tree, the pleasure that you have had, all that is recorded, isn't it? When you see a sunset, if you ever have taken the trouble to look, when you have looked, it is recorded on your brain. And when, after seeing it, or see at that moment, there is no sense of I want it to be repeated. There is just the experiencing of it. Then a second later, you, you say how beautiful that is. I want it repeated. You understand? The desire to have it repeated is the, ple is the beginning of pleasure. Right? You understand this? The desire to, to have a repetition of an event which has given a delight, the, the pursuit of it, the demanding further experiencing of it, is pleasure. Which again is thought, right? That is looking, have, seeing the sunset, then thinking about it and wanting it to be repeated. That is pleasure, isn't it? Which is what you do when you have sexual pleasure. The repetition, the image, 
they're thinking about it, chewing, you know, all the rest of it, and wanting it again, right? So thought, thinking, breeds fear as well as pleasure, right? Thought gives continuity to fear and a continuity to pleasure. But when you have physical pain, yesterday or two years ago, to have it finished with it, not record it, do you understand? Then there is no continuity of continuity brought about by thinking about it. I'm going to go into that. Please listen to this. Because you see, sirs, we are human beings, not merely animals. We have to live intelligently. We have to live a marvelous, beautiful life. And if one lives in fear, which is anxiety, guilt, sense of failure, you know, fear, fear of the dark, fear of death, fear of losing your money, fear of not becoming a great man, fear of, you know, dozens and dozens of forms of fear. But fear is, is the same, expressed in different ways. So thought nourishes sustains, gives continuity to fear and pleasure, right? So the question then is, can thought not end, but can thought, which has created such marvelous thing in the world, technology, all the marvelous medicine, science. <clears throat> you know what thought has done? And that very thought breeds fear and sustains fear and pleasure. You are following this? So. What is thought and where should thought function completely, totally, rationally, sanely, and where should thought be completely quiet? You are following my question? Thought is the response of memory, right? Which is memory, knowledge, experience, stored up in the brain, and that memory response as thought. The memory, the intelligence, the knowledge which has created the rocket which went to the moon, which has created the most marvelous technological things, the atom bomb, the aeroplane, you follow? It has done the most extraordinary things. And yet that very thought s- 
gives continuity to fear. And very, that very thought seeks pleasure, and that very pleasure becomes fear. Right? You see the difficulty? You need thought to function rationally, objectively, sanely, reasonably, logically. And also you see how thought continues to go on with fear. Right? So I must find out why it is that thought always, if I can use the word interfere, when there is an experience of pleasure or pain. You are following this? Why thought, as one is experiencing something, either pain, physical pain or psychological pain, why thought comes in and holds it? Right? Why? Are you asking the question too? You understand the problem, do you? Look, to be able to speak English, I must have a great deal of knowledge of English. Knowledge, memory, and all the rest of it. And thought is using the words in order to convey something. Right? Thought is using knowledge. And thought also uses knowledge which breeds fear. Right? Knowledge of pain of yesterday, knowledge of the pleasure of yesterday. Right? So the question is. Why does thought always avoid the one, which is fear, and hold on to pleasure? That's one question. Why does thought interfere when there is an experience? You understand? I have an experience of the sunset. And at that moment there is no thinking at all. You are just looking at the beauty of that light. Then thought comes along and says, Ah, oh, I want that repeated again tomorrow. which is knowledge as experience, which is pleasure, wanting to be repeated again. I've had pain, which is re the remembrance of that pain, which is knowledge, and according to that knowledge, or depending on that knowledge, thought says, I don't want it. You follow? Thought is doing this all the time, functioning between pleasure and pain. And thought is responsible for both. Right? That is, are you all getting tired of this? This is your life, my friend. 
in this. There is no love. Pleasure is not love. Pleasure, desire is not love. We'll go into that if we have time. What love is? So knowledge, on the one hand, is essential, otherwise you can't go home, otherwise you can't talk your language, you can't invent, you can't construct if you're an engineer and so on. Knowledge is essential. And also the knowledge of the pain of yesterday breeds fear, right? So you have to find out, find out, not be informed by the speaker, find out for yourself what it is that acts when thought is absent. You follow? You have understood my question? No, you haven't understood. Right. Now look, sir, we said at the beginning of the talk that we're going to look at our lives. Look, observe, examine, not run away from it. You are forced into a corner to look at it for a change. There is no escape. Sitting there, listening, there is no escape. Therefore you are facing life, your life. And when you are looking at it, you discover these two principles, fear and pleasure. Please follow this carefully. You discover it. You are not told by the speaker. You yourself have found it. And as we are sharing the problem together, you see the nature of fear and the nature of pleasure. You are not saying, I mustn't have pleasure. You are not saying, I mustn't have fear. We are investigating, understanding fear, understanding pleasure. We are not saying you must be without desire or without fear. When you understand something, you will be free of it. And you can only understand it when you look at it, when you investigate it, when you learn about it. And we are learning together about fear. You are following this? We are learning together about fear, as we are learning together about pleasure. So if you have followed from the beginning, observed all this, your mind, if you have gone, if you observe it, your mind has become very sensitive, right? very alert, aware of this whole problem, not completely, because to go into this whole question of fear, one can look at it immediately and understand it instantly, not through analysis, but see it immediately. And when you have observed this, you will find, you find, don't you, that you have a mind that has, has learned, is learning, hmm? and therefore it has become somewhat intelligent, right? Somewhat intelligent, because it's become sensitive about the problem, which before it has evaded. Now you are sensitive to the problem, 
of fear and pleasure. Therefore, you are learning about it. Therefore, the mind, please listen, the mind that is learning about fear and pleasure has not learned the thing before. It's learning now, not before. The final extract in this episode is from the first question and answer meeting in Sanan, 1982, titled Psychological and Physical Pain. There are different kinds of pain. Physical and psychological. Now, the psychological pain, the agony, the acute suffering, is that what one is concerned with, or the physical pain, a certain incurable disease, like cancer. How do we meet this? There are various drugs and so on to alleviate physical pain. And one can put up with it. I'm sure most of us have experienced, in spite of the drugs, put up with certain forms of pain. When it becomes acute, then you do something, some kind of medicine, medical treatment. So, let us first look at the psychological pain, which is, which may be psychosomatic, And what is pain inwardly? You answer it. What is psychological grief? Pain. Pain that's caused by many factors, many factors. One wants to fulfill, become, achieve, and there is the pain of all that. Right? There is the pain of of being hurt, being wounded by another. And most of us are hurt from childhood. And we carry that hurt all our lives. That hurt create brings about a resistance, right? Resistance in my relationship because I don't want to be hurt anymore. So I build a wall around myself. Isolate myself. And that creates more fear. So I live with this hurt and fear and resistance all my life. That's one of the hurts that most human beings have. Is it possible not to have the pain of hurt? You understand? which is not to be hurt at all, psychologically. Right? What is it that is hurt? 
Look at it, please. Go into it yourself. When I say I am hurt by what you have told me, what you have said, what is it that is hurt? The me, right? What is that? What is the me which is hurt? The thought which has created the image, the image being myself. Right? Myself is not without the image. I wonder, right? I mean, I have many images. So, is it possible to live a daily life without the image which is me? Go into yourself. You understand, my The image is getting hurt. The image is causing pain. The image is created by thought through various incidents, <coughs> accidents, <coughs> and so on. That image, with all its complexity, isn't just an image, is hurt. The images have a conclusion. I have made a con- I have come to a conclusion. And I hold on to that conclusion. And any disturbance of that conclusion is pain. I believe, if I do, in God. And you come along and say, don't be absurd. Then that very verbal assertion has hurt. Because I'm beginning to question. Or I may not question, but I'm hurt. Because you, you say something very serious. So, as long as we have an image, as long as the process of thought, which is constantly creating the image and giving life to that image, there must be pain. Right? This is a f- fact. Then one asks, can that pain end? Which means, can one live in this life without any image? (coughs) This is not an intellectual conundrum, puzzle. This is our life. I am British or Indian, or whatever it is. And it's very important to hold to that image. Any slur on that image, I get violent. And pain follows, and so on. Can one live with a life without any image whatsoever. Right? You think it out. Now there is this psychological pain. If one understands the nature of this pain inwardly, therefore there is no image and therefore there is no pain as we psychologically know it. Right? From there, let's move to the physical pain. Not from the physical to the psychological, but from the psychological to the physical. Right? We always are concerned with the physical pains. Never inquiring into the psychological structure of pain inwardly. Right? We begin with the psychological, 
the psychosomatic state of mind and brain and then inquire into the physical pain. We live such rotten lives, smoke, drink and all the rest of it, we are all the time corrupting the natural process of life, right? Pollution, polluting the air, waters, eating dead animals, right? Carcasses, and indulging ourselves in various forms of sensation and taste becomes all important. So we are physically real to all the things that are seem so abnormal. Right? And that may be, and perhaps is one of the causes of physical pain. Is disease and illness. We're not going to the question. Now, what is disease and what is illness? We'll do that another time. Uh, or you have an accident in a car. Wrong. Or your leg is broken and so on, so on. Can one look at all this pain, physical pain, if it isn't too acute, to observe it and remain with it for a while, as long as one can? You understand my question? Do we accept physical pain or we're always trying to get rid of pain? If it is acute, naturally, we want to be free of pain. But can we observe pain not being identified with pain? You understand my question? I suppose I will. Bad headache, migraine. Can I observe it, not identify myself with it? You understand my question? Or we say, My God, I've got such an awful headache, I must do something about it. <laughs> or if it isn't too terrible, can one be free of all identification with that with that pain? Right? Inquire into it, find out. So in all this, what is important is to approach life with intelligence. Now, what is intelligence? This is a problem, isn't it? Here is a problem. First problem was how to whether the brain can be kept fresh, young, active, clear. The second question was is can one bear pay and so on? Now, in observing these two questions, the central factor comes out, which is intelligence. To approach life, which is pain, pleasure, anxiety, sorrow, and all the complexities of this life which, which man has made for himself, both outwardly and inwardly. The wars, the terrors, 
the terrorists, kidnapping, the brutality, the vulgarity, the coarseness, the whole of that, which is part of a life. Can one approach all this with real intelligence? So let us inquire, what is intelligence? Right? If you are not tired. Intelligence, the meaning of that word, is to accumulate information and use it collect a lot of information and use it so-called intelligently. Not according to your pleasure or pain, according to your bias, you have collected a lot of experience, knowledge, and employ that knowledge actively in life, intelligently. Right? That intelligence is not personal, because you accumulate a lot of information. You may identify yourself with that information, I say my information, but it's information. So, can you see that intelligence is not personal? is not the clever activity of thought. Right? When we enter into the world of technology, there there is a vast accumulation of experience, knowledge. A technician may use that tremendous accumulation and identify himself with that accumulation, with that knowledge, and says, I have done it. Right? Or he uses that information knowledge to produce something. Like a scientist who has, a, has gathered great deal of knowledge from previous scientists and uses and inquires further and is adding to that knowledge. But the moment he identifies himself with that knowledge as me, the great person who has, then that activity is not intelligent, right? Are you right? And intelligence is not the activity of thought. This is difficult to understand now. We are inquiring, not accepting my definition. You are not accepting my description and the explanation of what is intelligence. We are seeing together what is intelligence. Not my conclusion or your conclusion. Right? Now, what is intelligence? Knowledge, thought is based on accumulated knowledge. Right? Therefore, that knowledge will always be limited. There is no complete knowledge about anything. We must be clear on this point. Right? about the universe, about science, about physics, there is no complete, total knowledge. They are always adding, adding. Right? So knowledge goes hand in hand with ignorance. Right? Of course. I know you won't like that, but that's a fact. Right? So, knowledge 
being limited, thought must be limited. Right? That's so, it is limited. And whatever thought does cleverly, being limited is not complete intelligence, right? You find this? So, it is not the activity of thought bringing about clever perceptions, clever arguments, clever doctrinaire theories. That's not intelligence, right? So, what is intelligence? To we have negated what is not. Right? Right, sir? We have said this is not it, this is not it, this is not it. Then what is? If you discard all this, what is not, which is also to see the false as the false, right? To see the truth in the false, right? Which is another form of discarding. So, if you discard all this, which includes time, right? Because accumulation of knowledge is time, right? Then what remains is intelligence. Right? Now just a minute. I see something. I see I am vain, proud, arrogant. That is perceivable. Now, to take time to dissolve it, if one wants to, that is, I will take time not to be arrogant, hmm? is that an intelligent action? Because I have allowed there time. I am vague, I'll play with it for a while, I like it, I know it is absurd, but I like it, I carry on. And I hope someday it will end. Which is, I perceive, I am aware that I am vain, and I don't act immediately. The immediate action is intelligence. You see? You understand this clear? When I allow time, to dissolve or put away my vanity, then the action is not intelligent. But to perceive and act immediately is intelligence, right? which is not to allow time to come between the perception and action. So you can go into this fact of what is intelligence. Right? Look at another factor in this. What is love? We all use that word very freely. What do we mean by that word? You can only find out the depth of that word, the depth of that feeling, the clarity, the intensity of it, only when you discover what it's not. Right? Right? 
It is not jealousy. Would you agree to that? I love you. Do I? (laughs) I love you. And I mean it. When I say I love you, I mean it. I love you. Has that love any motive? That is, the motive being, I love you because I sit on a platform and talk to you. I feel very satisfied, very, you know, all the ugliness of it. I fulfil in that and so on, all that absurd stuff. So, when I say I love you, if I, if there is a motive, it is not. Right? If there is jealousy, which is, I am attached to you, I cling to you, it gives me a sense of power, position, a sense of the avoidance of loneliness. And when I say I love you, it means I am attached to you. Is that love? Go on, sir, investigate it. Is attachment love? Obviously not. So, I have discovered jealousy is not, attachment is not. I perceive attachment, I am attached. I won't take time to be get free myself from attachment. I see the consequences of attachment and end it immediately. That is intelligence. So, what are the factors which, which love is not? We say jealousy, attachment, and isolation. My ambition, my fulfilment. In fact, the whole movement of self-centered activity is not love. Right? So don't don't look so dazed. <laughs> It's, these are facts. So by negation one discovers what it is. Not occasionally or rarely. And if it has gone into this deeply, there is that quality, that perfume, that intensity, the beauty of it. And with it comes compassion. I cannot be compassionate if I am attached to, to any form of concept. If I love my God and say I am compassionate, it's not compassion. So, love, compassion, intelligence go together. So, I'm, so, can we approach this in, with this intelligence, this problem, psychological pain and inward? I mean, psychological pain and physical pain, not to get neurotic about it. Not to be constantly occupied with one's own pain, creating all kinds of psychological problems. 
right? So, at the end of this conversation, have we, have we, is there this quality of intelligence? Is there this quality of intelligence which is love, which is compassion, or merely clever argumentation, dialectical inquiry, opinion against opinion, idea against idea, which is conflict? One ideological group against another ideological group. The communist ideology and the totalitarian ideology and so-called democratic ideology. These two are in battle now. So, after this conversation together, is there this perfume, this quality of intelligence and compassion that is at 